watch your back and stand ten toes. I'm a big step ahead, honcho. If you're not ready, run so. Say where you're from, East Palo Alto. Baby, where the rugs are go, loco. Matter of fact, R.I.P. to loco. I just want to take this time, Larry, to thank you and Good Titans Foundation for all your support over the years. It has been tremendous, and it's been such a so many unique forms of support. Uh, there's been the financial support for the scholarships, but it's all the ways that you take the time and care to bring memorable moments and activities to students. Hey, it's your friend Jason Mraz, the official spokesperson of the Good Tidings Foundation. And what an honor it is. On behalf of Good Tidings Foundation, we welcome you to the fourth season of the Good Tidings podcast that highlights the goodness in people. This episode is proudly sponsored by the San Francisco Giants. You can go to sfgiants.com for updates on the Giants and information on game tickets, special events, and promotions for the 2023 season. And now, enjoy the podcast. This episode finds us sitting on the campus of Eastside Prep in East Palo Alto, California, with the founder of this amazing school. So, Chris Bischoff, welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast. Thanks, Larry. It's great to be here. So, we have known each other for well over 25 years now, as our paths have somewhat paralleled in this nonprofit space, and it's been so great to see what you've done here. But I do want to kind of start at the beginning. So out of high school, you enter Stanford University. And when you got to Stanford, what were your kind of professional aspirations at that time? Where did you think, I'm going to Stanford and I'm going to do this? Yeah, I was kind of open at the time, but wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. But it was really during my time there that uh, I shifted to really wanting to become a teacher. And, and that was really through some experiences while I was you know, at Stanford. But going in, I really was not sure what I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. And then along the way, while you were at college, I know you crossed over Highway 101 into East Palo Alto to start an after-school program while you were still in college. Tell us about that experience and what you learned. Yeah, so it was a program called Shoot for the Stars that we started, like you said, while I was in college. And it was an after-school program serving students in grades four through eight here in the Ravenswood City School District in East Palo Alto. And that that time was really using participation in a basketball program to motivate students to do well in school. And that was based on experiences I'd had tutoring students beforehand in the district and just re- recognizing that there was this really powerful connection. And if, if you could really take students' interest and love for, in this case, basketball, and all the positive values that they can learn from that, but also to have that translate into success in the classroom for them. And why basketball? You're a basketball guy. So yeah, so played, <laughs> so, yeah, basketball guy for sure. Um, when I was in high school, actually uh, played here in the community uh, at a local community center. That experience meant a lot to me. A lot of my best friends came from that team and from that program. And so when I got to college, I, I wanted to stay involved in the community. The best way I knew how to do that was through shared love for basketball. Yeah, makes sense. You know, I was reading this on your website. For nearly 20 years, there was no high school in this city. Basically, from that, no one's going to attend college or certainly graduate from college. How could that be? Yeah, no, it's shocking. I think most people, 
you know, across the whole U.S. take for granted that you can send your kid to high school in your own community. And that hadn't been the case here for 20 years, like you said, from 1976 to 1996. And in 1976, the Ravenswood High School closed. And this was back in the 70s uh, with the whole desegregation movement. And they closed the high school. The end result was that students from this community were forced to be bused outside of the community to, you know, far more affluent neighborhoods. And in some cases, over an hour's bus ride each way. So the burden was definitely placed on students and the families here. And then students were being asked to, you know, compete against students from much uh, more affluent backgrounds. And uh, it, was, it was a real challenge for sure. And so, uh, and which led to this result of 65% of students not finishing high school, which is alarming to say the least. <laughs> yeah. For people not familiar with the uniqueness of East Palo Alto, how would you describe it and how has it changed since you've been involved here? Yeah, so worked in the community now for almost 30 years, lived in the community for 27 years, and just love East Palo Alto and all that it represents. It, it has changed a lot over the years, but it's such a you know diverse community. Uh, we're a community of hardworking families, but oftentimes families who haven't had the same type of opportunities as families across the freeway. <laughs> and that could be from economic opportunities, educational opportunities. And so I think that's now, over time, that's starting to change, and, and there's more more opportunities. Uh, we started, we were the only high school in town, and now there's one or two other opportunities. And so the majority of students now in the community have the choice to at least stay in the community, for example. And that, of course, was not the case when we started. So there, you know, there's a lot of really good things happening in the community, but there's still a real gap, an opportunity gap, I'd call that, from students, say, growing up here versus students um, in nearby communities. And I noticed, too, it's a unique population here of fairly good majority of black and Latino mm-hmm. families, correct? Correct. Yeah. That's, that's unique, I think, to most cities. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So, and it's changed a little bit, you know, when I started, when we started the school and when I was working here even beforehand, and even when I was in high school being involved in the community, it was predominantly black and now it's uh, shifted to be predominantly Latino, but uh, it's still a mix in the community. And there's a small percentage of Pacific Islanders as well. That population is represented at our school too. So you mentioned 1996, a new high school comes to be, and you start Eastside College Prep with nine students and a picnic table. <laughs> That's so, right. <laughs> so tell, tell, tell people about this. Yeah, so a, a pretty unique uh, beginning, but a lot of people said we were crazy, and I, I think they were probably right, but we uh, started a school without a campus or a place to call our own. And so that first year we started at a local park and fortunately we had California weather working for us. So we uh, didn't get rained out, but uh, but we had uh, the first couple of weeks we were at a, a park bench. And then that first year we were educational nomads. So we bounced around from place to place based on the generosity of people who would let, let us use a room in the, in the back of their office. And so other nonprofits who were able to do, who did that for us. And so we're always grateful to them started with those students. And then each year we added a small group of students. Uh, the second year we were able to move in, in uh, to a portable classroom and have a place to call our own. And, and that was a big step in terms of the credibility that we, we might be around beyond year one. And, uh, and then each year we just kind of expanded from there. Yeah, I know after year one, you did get a, some property. And how do, how do you get that sizable gift in your second year as a nonprofit. Yeah, with great luck and fortune. That first year, we were operating on a budget of about $30,000. <laughs> so, and, uh, and then to have a, a space that we could call our own here in East Palo Alto was a, a dream come true in that sense. And so really fortunate to have you know, somebody step up to, to basically provide this home for us. That was kind of the roots of the school. And, 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 it, and it made 
not only symbolically, but it just made such a difference for our families to know that this place is going to be here and that I can actually keep my kid here for four years rather than having to figure out what's going to happen when the school closes. And so that was a really magical moment for the school. I think the other magical moment was our first graduation. And, you know, we had for that small group of students, we had over 450 people come to the graduation. So it was a big deal, not just for their families, but for the community. A lot of uh, longtime community members, community members who had even attended Ravenswood High School before it closed, came just to cheer on the students and just had a lot of joy that there was a high school back in the community. And I think that also gave us that idea that we're going to be able to do what we said we were going to do. And I think from a community standpoint, that led to a lot of um, support. Yeah. So interesting. I think I'm trying to remember back to that first space. Was there just a house on that corner? You basically got a house. It was just a house. It was a house. Yeah, and it, it was a house. So we were we were the the one room uh, schoolhouse, right? So now we uh, we had class in the kitchen. We had class in what I guess you would call the living room. Uh, we had an office in the closet, and that that was kind of the the, the beginnings. Uh, and so and then yeah, so this, it was just a house. And then in year three, we added a portable classroom next to the house, and and then another portable to make room. So because we kind of doubled every year. It went to 20 students next year, then 35, then 70, then 105. So we, yeah, just little by little uh, making room for more students. Yeah. And then just five years in, you were able to expand to pretty much a legitimate campus. Tell us what is on site here now at yeah. Eastside Prep. Yeah, there's not a day that goes by that, you know, we're, we're always always grateful for what we have today, remembering the, the, the beginnings. So today we have a campus that's just over five acres. We have office building, but we have uh, the, the classroom space for all of our, enough for our, our students, it includes uh, science labs and some, some really great, great equipment for students. It has a, a center for the arts now. Uh, and when this was built, it was the only theater in all of East Palo Alto, and it's been a great resource, and we can talk more about the, uh-huh. the Leroy Neiman Art Center and what a difference that's making for our students and community uh, as part of that. Cafeteria, so we can feed all of our students. We serve breakfast and lunch to all of our students, and then breakfast, lunch, and dinner to our students who are living on campus. And then we have two sets of dormitories uh, for students who uh, would like to live on campus and benefit from that program. And then the gym, fitness center, and, uh, and a soccer field. Yeah. Yeah, tell us about along the way, how important the dormitory piece is to the future of the school. Yeah. So we started, added the dorm program in 2007, and that was uh, really based on our experiences working with our students for the first 10 plus years and just realized uh, what a benefit this could be for students who would want to be and and would most benefit from that extra layer of support. And so today, almost a third of our students live on campus. And because they're they're local, they can stay and, and go home on the weekends if they choose to, or they can stay here on the weekends. But it's really been a great, I think, source of support for so many of our students here and helping them to really uh, just thrive here with their experience and make the most of all the opportunities here. We keep getting feedback from our students in college and how much better prepared they felt having had the experience of living here on campus. And so that was kind of an added bonus. It wasn't the original intent, but it's been a big difference, I think, in terms of students' preparation for college. And how is gentrification affecting you? And I imagine... It affects wealthy people to the positive and people of need. Uh, it's an unfortunate situation, right? It's been a concern. Some of these bigger macro issues that are beyond our control as a school, but something that we've really been concerned about because, of course, our 
uh, out of care for our students, families, and just the community as, as a whole. That process over the last, it's really coincided with our existence you know, just looking at these waves of, yeah, I guess you'd say concerns about gentrification where can our families continue to afford to live here? And we've seen you know, a lot of families who've not been able to do that, who've moved to more affordable areas in the Bay Area or beyond you know, the, uh, the Bay Area. Still today, we have lots of families who might be moving to anywhere from Stockton, Sacramento, but or as close as Antioch, Pittsburgh areas. And, and uh, some of those families have come back, but others you know, have not been able to do that. And so that's, that's been a real challenge, I think, for the community at large and for the, the residents who live here and, and so many residents who've had long roots here in the community. So that's, that's always been uh, sad to see. But yeah, so we're trying to do whatever we can to, to help uh, and, and the dorms one way that students at least could stay here, continue their education here, even if families were, you know, moving in and out of the community. In the dormitory, what is the furthest hometown for a kid uh, from here? Yeah. So this year, it looks like we have probably Sacramento would be the furthest. Yeah. But yeah. 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 And including this graduating class, how many students have graduated Eastside and attended a four-year college? Yeah, so we've had uh, just under uh, a thousand students now who've gone through and you know all gone off to college. <laughs> that is amazing, and and the percentage is everybody that comes here comes here at no cost to them, right? And they all are more almost guaranteed an opportunity to go to four year college. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's right. So all the students, it's a u- unique model because all of our students, it's a private school where all the students are on full scholarship. And then, like you said, yeah, the students are you know going off to college. So that's really, you know, that's kind of the, the, the value proposition. You come here and, and you come here with a positive attitude and, and uh, four years later, you'll be able to head off to college. And your graduation percentage rate is? For college or yeah. for the, yeah. Yeah. So it's right now, it's uh, 70% of the students will, will graduate at this point in time. You know, which compares to the, well, the national rate for all students is about 50%, which was shocking when I heard that number. Yeah. And then for first-gen uh, lower-income students, uh, it's 11%. You know, again, compared to the national figures, we feel pretty good about those numbers. But of course, we always want to improve on, on outcomes and just create, have more oppor- more students uh, finishing. And, yeah. uh, and most of these families are first-generation college goers? Correct. Yeah. yeah. 99, 99%. 99%. Yeah. And... Are they graduating with not much college debt, you think, too? Generally speaking, yes. Uh, And that's part of the process that we work with families to make sure they're making wise decisions when they come to college. I mean, oftentimes students may not get into their top choice, but it may not be the most affordable choice. And so just kind of working through that decision process. And and for the most part, students and families are making, you know, really prudent decisions where they're taking out minimal debt, if if any, but in some cases more. (laughs) You know, you and I were talking before we turned on the microphones about what our two charities have done. And I mean, do you ever sit back and think about and let this sink in like, okay, there was a park bench with nine kids and now we have a five acre campus and a thousand kids graduated from college. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't given myself enough time to think about that. Maybe I think we're just so busy with what's going on. And uh, as we say, uh, never a dull moment around here. So we're always thinking about the next thing, but I'm sure someday kind of look back yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. think about it. Where do you think this calling came from? Was it just by you saw a need and you had to, or do you think all along there was a calling for you to be into this serving space? Yeah, you know, I think it was really just from personal connections and personal involvement. Like I said, starting off in just a, in high school, some of my, my best friends were from the area and uh, that, that I've spent so much time with in high school. And that really motivated me to want to 
you know, stay involved. And then just the more involved I got, the more hooked I got in terms of, uh, you know, wanting to not only be involved here, but then pursue teaching as a career. And, but also knowing that I wanted to teach here in East Palo Alto. And, and I think the school had is also a unique beginning because sometimes the schools will have a new school will start with an educational philosophy, but not necessarily a target community in mind. But here, it really built from the inside out, where we had a group of students and families who were asking about what would it take to bring a high school into the community, and it kind of grew from there. And I think that's pretty cool, too. You weren't just a founder or principal, per se. You wanted to be hands-on with the kids. You wanted to teach them. Mm -hmm. You wanted to coach them in basketball. Mm -hmm. And that had to be quite rewarding to be able to do both sides of that fence. It, it, yeah, it has been from day one. And, and uh, as we say here, everyone wears many different hats. <laughs> so yeah. so even today, as the school's grown and their staff has grown, that's still the case for so many of us. And so, but it's, it's what makes every day uh, so much fun. And it's what makes every day, uh, I haven't had to work a day in my life with having this job. <laughs> yeah. The Good Tidings Foundation and Eastside Prep have a long history, first starting with our community service scholarship Eastside has had many recipients. Even this past year, we had a recipient where each kid gets a, a grant of $10,000 for their community service. So obviously, service here is a big part of it. And do you let the kids know, hey, this is a special gift. How are you paying it forward, paying it back, this gift you're getting? Do you make them aware of that? Yeah, two things. I mean, first, I just want to take this time, Larry, to thank you and Good Titans Foundation for all your support over the years. It has been tremendous, and it's been such a so many unique forms of support. There's been the financial support for the scholarships, but it's all the ways that you take the time and care to bring memorable moments and activities to students. And that's just so unique. We have not had any other kind of experiences like that. And, and I'm not sure any other foundations like that. And, and uh, so thank you. I think for service, I think that is a, kind of a big part of the culture here. And I think that the best way that we've been able to see that is, is there's, a, I'd say, a disproportionate number of our alums also who want to give back to the community, starting with the East Palo Alto, Eastside community, but also the East Palo Alto community. And, and we see that, first of all, and more than 10% of our current staff are Eastside alums. So these are students who've come back to teach or to work in the dorms and to give back to students who grew up in the same circumstances as they did. And, and that was actually a dream of ours when we started the school, to have one teacher from, who would be an alum. And now we have, you know, more than 10%. And so, so that's something that really is meaningful to us. But we also have a lot of alums who will come back and just help out, whether it being on an alumni panel or helping out with creating an opportunity for a summer internship for one of our college students. And so that idea of paying it forward and, and giving back is, I think it means a lot to, to students and, and the alums here. And uh, we just had our graduation last Friday. And, and one of my favorite parts of every graduation is the fact that so many alums come back to root on the younger students who are following in their footsteps. And there's a sense of pride. And so, you know, I think that's... Uh, been really special. Again, have a disproportionate number of alums who will go into the nonprofit sector and into teaching and education. So a lot of teachers, but a lot of others who are involved in non different types of nonprofits, mostly here in East Palo Alto in the local area, but also in other areas too. And then five years after that scholarship was formed, we came on campus to create a little fitness room for the students way back when. I think that was right when your gym and the adjacent building got built, correct? Yeah. yeah. And we had a Multi-purpose room is the best way to put it. And that's when we didn't have this campus. So we multi-purpose, we had classes in there. We served 
breakfast and lunch in there and we scraped down the tables and had class in there. But to transform that, for you to transform that into the space we have now, that gets such great use. I mean, we have fitness classes going on all day and also in the summer. The majority of our students are taking those classes. So that room is, is busy. And then for the students in the dorms who can use that in the evenings, that room is literally used for 10 to 12 hours a day and is making such a difference for so many students to have that opportunity and that space to work out in, in, a, in a meaningful way. Yeah. And then we came back again in 2015, and we opened one of our Leroy Neiman Art Studios here on campus. You know, we build these things, and they always look great the day we leave them, and there's a beautiful ceremony and all that sort of thing. But your art teacher here, Linda, has been a star in how she's used that and really taking the visual arts program here just is one of the best in the country, really. Well, and a lot of that's, again, thanks to you for creating that environment that is so appealing to students and, and students when they come on board. Our fine arts classes and visual arts are some of the most popular programs on our campus. And that's such an inviting space and an appealing space. Like, as we were talking before, when I walk in there, you feel like you want to be more creative. I mean, it just has this feel to it and it has this great space and, and uh, that we use for the art program, for our photography classes as well. So it really has become one of the f- favorite spots on campus. And, and anytime even we have visitors who come by, we show that room with lots of pride and, and, and everyone seems to comment like, wow, they just walk in that room and there, there's a, a feel to it. So uh, it's really created a, a great opportunity for our students. And so what does the future hold here? What are your visions, short-term and long-term here for Eastside Prep? Yeah, so I mean, you know, we're always, uh, first of all, trying to just improve on what we're doing and improve on our outcomes uh, as a school, but also... We've been spending more and more time when we started the school, we really were just a school trying to help our students get to college. And then we've realized over the years that we want to make sure that we get students not only to college, but through college successfully. So that's when we started our alumni services program to really continue to support students as they become the first in their families to navigate their path through college. And so uh, we have a team that's really working closely with the alums to help them through that process. And then over the years, we realized that there was a, a real need. We found that the students who had a chance to do have some work experiences while they were in college had a much better sense of what they wanted to do after college. And so we've really tried to build out what we call our Career Pathways Program, which is really at the foundation of that program, is helping students to secure worthwhile summer internships while they're in college to really help them, again, identify what areas they might want to pursue after college and then to continue to build up their skills so that they'll be um, stronger candidates to get a full-time job by the time they graduate from college. Well, I just want to congratulate you on all you've done. I mean, it's remarkable. And I've seen it from the beginning, and I still can't believe half of the stuff you've done. So just congratulations. We'll put in our show notes ways donors can get involved with Eastside, make donations, and really become aware of what you started here. So thanks for joining me, Chris, and congrats on everything. Well, thank you, Larry, and thank you again for all that you've done for our students and our school. We really appreciate it. We hope you've enjoyed another episode of the Good Tidings Podcast hosted by Good Tidings Foundation founder, Larry Harper. For more information on all the good we're doing, go to goodtidings.org.